Welcome to a new episode of the Philmont Lincoln Center podcast. This week we're featuring a Q&A from the 50th New Directors New Films with Andreas Fontana on his feature debut, Azor. Swiss director Andreas Fontana brings an astonishingly assured eye to this gripping debut feature, set in the cloistered world of high finance in Argentina in the 1970s. With a finely tuned sense of impassive anxiety, Fabrizio Ranjuan plays a banker who has traveled from Geneva to Buenos Aires with his wife to disentangle the complicated threads left behind by a colleague who has mysteriously disappeared. Once there, he finds himself descending ever deeper into a sinister inner circle, connecting the country's upper classes to the military junta's ongoing dirty war. Azor is now playing daily in our theaters. For tickets and showtimes, go to filmlink.org slash Azor. And now, without further ado, I would like to introduce the director of the movie you just seen, Andreas Fontana. And we also have a translator with us to help with any uh, questions. Uh, we have Nicolas Elliott, but the audience is probably familiar with. Hi, uh, welcome, Andreas. Thank you. Uh, hello. <laughs> So I'm going to start with a few questions for you, uh, and I will uh, hope you give me very honest and uh, detailed answer to everything I wanted to know about Azor. Uh, I was very fortunate to be able to see the movie actually in the big screen uh, when I first saw it, and it looked amazing. It was a very beautiful film. Uh, then I rewatched it uh, virtually, and it's always looked great. So I'm really, really happy that you're part of the festival, and welcome to the new director, new film family, and we can talk about your film. Um, so maybe my first question would be: um, You decided to talk about a very um, troubling um, part of uh, history in Argentina in the early 80s, in a, a period called uh, the Dirty War. But your movie is not exactly an historical fiction. You're not telling us what happened. It's not, um, we're aware of the fact. But you have chosen a, a foreign point of view to introduce us to, to the story of uh, Argentina in the early 80s mixed with other elements. So maybe as a beginning, could you talk a little bit about uh, the origin of the film, your decision to take an oblique and a foreign point of view to tell, to tell us, uh, you know, this period of, uh, in the history of Argentina. Donc, moi, ça fait depuis quelques temps déjà avec d'autres films que j'ai fait, court-métrage, bien sûr, que je m'intéresse à la question de, du rapport de la fiction et de, aussi du documentaire, mais en particulier de la fiction et, et l'histoire. Et... It's been some time, um, for instance, with my previous films, which were short films, that I've been interested um, in the question of fiction and documentary, but especially the question of fiction and history. And so when I discovered the world of, of banking and specifically private banking, I realized I, I needed uh, a strong territory um, outside of banking and that wouldn't be today, contemporary, uh, a time when banking secrecy was still accepted. Argentina is a country that I lived in for a long time and I still go back to Argentina pretty much on an annual basis. I mean, recently, of course, there's been a problem with travel, but I, I do go to Argentina very often and it's a country that I feel very close to. And every time I go to Argentina, I'm struck initially by this feeling of, 
of proximity, of familiarity, like it's a European country. But then quite quickly, that impression goes away and one realizes that that's a, a kind of a, a mirage because it's not a European country. It's actually very different. Borges used to say that Argentinians were Europeans in exile. And it's true that there's this element of distance and strangeness. To, to finish up about the question of why I chose that period, which indeed is a very dark period, I, had, I got the impression quite quickly um, that this would be an opportunity to show the, the job of banking as it was then and, and sadly still now, including all the shadowy areas and in fact the, the obscene areas because that's what the film is about. I had the opportunity to show a, a banker who's really diving into the Argentinian political situation. And by doing so, that reveals the true nature of his job. And so I thought that there, were, um, there was an opportunity to superpose elements that would make things quite strong. To follow up on these questions, can you discuss a little bit more uh, the research you had to undertake uh, in terms of the history of Argentina, which I assume, based on what you just said, you knew fairly uh, uh, well, um, but as well on the research on the private banking. Uh, I don't know if you're trying to make us feel sorry for private bankers versus uh, um, the commercial banking. I, did, I wasn't really aware of the difference as a, as a viewer, and uh, it was quite interesting to see the rivality between both. Uh, so can you talk a little bit more about this? Donc, bien sûr, il y a une différence assez no, euh, notable. D'ailleurs, que je ne connaissais pas très, très bien, je, je savais qu'il y avait une différence, mais pas si bien, entre la banque privée et la banque commerciale. So, of course, there's a significant difference uh, between private banking and commercial banking, which I knew existed, but I didn't really fully understand. Uh, to, to say it simply, a commercial bank is a, a bank that is going to deal with your average man on the street. Um, you can deposit $100 uh, and that's fine. And it also deals with states. It's going to open lines of credits to states. So a, a commercial bank is open to everyone. On the other hand, a private bank is only open to individuals and individuals with a great deal of money. So it is a bank for the privileged. Of course, the notion of the privileged has changed over history. Initially, the private bank was for aristocracy. Then after 1945, there was the new rich and private banks started to deal with them. And now today, in general, the aristocracy doesn't have a lot of money. So this question of where does the money come from remains changing. Um, there was a, a, a sentence that was said to me by a banker that I met, which I found was, was quite accurate. It's a sentence from Mark Twain. Virtue has never been as respectable as money. So we think that private bankers are interested in families, but in fact, they're really only interested in huge fortunes. Mariano Genas is a, an Argentine director and actually a screenwriter as well. And I, I elaborated the screenplay with him, though he's not credited as a co-writer. It was a very important meeting for me in terms of the writing of this film. When I first met him, um, I already had a treatment, but there was something about it I didn't like. So we met and we started talking. And the first thing we did was to throw out that treatment and, and kind of ask ourselves, what happens if 
And, and then I, I started to write, but it was like a chess game. I would write and then he would give me his impressions. So when I say that it was an important meeting with Mariano, it's that I function a lot by emulating people. So when I met Mariano, he's someone who has, who makes very high demands of the work that he's involved in. He's someone who has real stature. He's a strong personality who also has a, a very high vision of cinema. So that really forced me to raise the bar, especially because I was working in a territory, this territory of Argentina, where I could afford to make no missteps. I mean, to state things clearly, I was working in an environment that's full of lawyers. So at the first misstep, the lawyers would have been sicked on us. So I couldn't move blindly into this subject. So from this process, we, we started to meet in hotels, which for, for various random reasons were all over the world. It seems very exotic to say it now, but we met in hotels in Vienna, Geneva, Madrid, Buenos Aires, et cetera. And that kind of created a map of the world that corresponds to the fantasy that one has of that environment, the fantasy of um, a, a globalized fantasy of the old aristocracy. And so we got into this kind of intellectual game that was actually very serious, like all important games. And I think that Mariana was determining in that process. I hope one day we can see a making of, uh, the making of as always you and Mariano uh, in different countries, it sounds fascinating. Mm -hmm. Um, to go back a little bit more on the, on the film, can you talk a little bit about the casting of the film? Because you have a great ensemble of mostly Argentine um, cast, as well as uh, main actors, uh, Fabrizio and uh, Stefani, who are amazing uh, actors, European, and they're extremely, extremely well cast in that film. I love the performance, they're both skills. And I was wondering if you were thinking of them when you were writing, or that came later in the process, and how you managed to work with Fabrizio, Stefani, and the Argentine cast all together. Alors, j'ai pas du tout écrit en fonction d'un casting parce que je, 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 je suis, suis parti d'une recherche vraiment personnelle que j'ai effectuée sur le terrain, et donc j'ai rencontré des gens qui étaient. So I didn't at all write with the casting in mind because I started from doing personal research in the field where I met real people. And so the writing in a sense translated these real people into fictional characters. So what I had in mind initially actually was non-actors. So the material of the screenplay, given what that was, it was very clear to me that I didn't want to work with excessive performances in terms of um, acting, you know, over the top performances. It, everything had to be based on presence, what characters were present, who is taking the spotlight at a certain moment. So we knew right away, all of us working on the film, that we needed a very strong cast. In concrete terms, the casting took place in two phases. The first phase was European, and I worked on that with Alexandre Nazarion. And what we were looking for were professional actors who were not too well known or too, we weren't too used to seeing them, or else actors who were cast against type, which was the case, for instance, with Fabrizio, 
who has acted often with the Dardenne brothers in which we see him in a totally different environment from the environment of my film. So the second part of course was the Argentine part um, of the casting and that was the longest and the, the densest because there are a lot of characters in the film. You know, the film is a kind of landscape and the, the Argentine uh, cast is I would say 95% non-professional. They're people that we found who come from the environment in the film. So business lawyers, oligarchs, uh, aristocrats, all these people who are from the environment of the film. And, and that was difficult work to find them. We had to go and find them. And for that, uh, a great Argentine casting director, Maria, Mariala Oroberch, set up a kind of structure that would attract these people. Um, to, I have a couple of questions about the, the film itself. So when you see the structure, um, of the and the interaction between the, the main actors, I, I I was kind of thinking of it as a triangle with uh, Kine on top, and then equal with Keys and Ines, uh, his wife, because Ines is a sort of Lady Macbeth in the film. She has a very nice and posé presence. Uh, she seems like um, like an, a nice person, very diplomatic, but with a lot of ambition. Uh, pushing her husband and her lifestyle to stay what it is, pushing her husband to support him too. Um, and Kills is an inspiration for, for Kine as well as a mystery because he wants to emulate and do as well as him. And, um, you know, it's personal and it's business. Like I need to save the bank, I need to save myself, I need to become better than Kills that everybody's always talking about. So I was... And the interaction between both will push Kinet to the top, to the point where he loses all his humanity by achieving what he's supposed to do and, and beyond. So uh, how were you thinking about this when you were like writing the film and then when you were, um, I guess, editing and, and shooting the film? Or is that something that uh, my triangle does not appeal to you? <laughs> Euh, non, je, je pense que, disons, pour être assez clair, je ne suis pas très intéressé au, au, au cinéma psychologique, au sens où les, les personnages... Well, to, to be clear, I'm not very interested in psychological cinema, by which I mean a cinema in which the characters are full of Freudian motivations. I'm more interested in environments such as banking, the bank, and how those environments makes make models of narrative. Is it possible um, to make a narrative from them? And so, for instance, you take an environment like banking and you have certain things like file cards, which exist in banking and in a film become a kind of evidence or even proof of a crime. And so it becomes a crime to, to forget one in a hotel. So you have the professional environment that's forming the narrative in a sense. So in this environment of the bank, um, you know, I, I quickly put together a couple that was traveling in a country that's under a dictatorship. And in this case, the protagonist, the main character, the husband is going to replace another guy. That's the basic situation of the film. If we state it very simply, it's one character replacing another character. And to do that, on the one hand, I 
called on narrative models I knew because they're ones that exist, but also it's something that's inspired by banking, by the environment of the bank, because that is an environment that is hyper competitive. The, the tragedy, or at least the drama of banking families is that people have to live up to an expectation in terms of returns and performance. And so in creating this distanced duel between one character and another, in which one character is going to measure himself against another character, I took that directly from banking. It's not something that I made up. It's something that banking gave me. There are also the things that secretly fascinate me. For instance, absent characters. Um, I really like the mystery around characters that are missing, that are absent, because you can project on those characters. The audience can. Um, so Keys, for instance, is a character that I secretly really like a lot because he materializes in very different ways for everyone. You know, he has the Rasputin side of a character who is close to power and who, like a sorcerer, manipulates the people in power, but also he has the same effect on his clients and on the audience, which is that we project our fears and desire on him. So, and then to, to talk about Inez, because I think it's important, um, you know, it, it's stunning when you look at history, and, and I mean history in general, we have lots of men who do things and women are there. They're either watching or they're a wife. And this is a question of representation. It's important, it was important that Inez does things. She's active in the work. And in fact, in reality, I met bankers where it was clear to me that the banker was rather passive, whereas the woman was more the proactive person in the couple. And I mean, including in the professional aspect of things. So I think it was important to show that in the film. Hi, I'm Clinton Crute. And I'm Devika Girish. We're the editors of Film Comment. The Film Comment Letter is a free weekly digital newsletter featuring original film criticism and writing by Film Comment's editors and brilliant contributors. The letter delivers exclusive features, reviews, interviews, streaming picks, news, and more directly to subscribers' inboxes every Thursday before they're published on filmcomment.com the following Monday. Sign up today at filmcomment.com to get the letter every week. Support independent film journalism. Support Film Comment. I, there's a couple of scenes that I find uh, really fascinating in the film and maybe pivotal moments uh, uh, in where I would see the film and see where the film was going. So one, one scene that I find very strong and I hope we can discuss it a bit, it's when the kidney goes to the circle of arms, the, the Cercle des Armes, uh, which is a very specific moment in the film in terms of creating an atmosphere uh, the space, the tone, um, the way the music is used, uh, the painting in the background. And it's nearly where he's deciding what's going to happen, what am I doing here? Uh, you know, there's a lot of mystery in that moment. And he meets, uh, that's when he meets the, the next people, uh, bringing him closer to Lazaro. He meets uh, the, the Monsignor, uh, and which is very creepy. Uh, and all these characters. So can you talk a little bit about uh, creating that scene, um, maybe in paper and then filming it? 
Yes, of course. Ah oui, en français. Euh, <rire> en fait, il faut, il faut dire que moi, j'ai écrit le film d'une façon assez so I have to say that I wrote the film in a, in a very specific way which is to say that I met people and I went places the places in the film are all places that I visited for instance the place where the widow receives the banker and his wife that's that's not the exact place but it's very very close to places that I saw and that we actually found by ourselves I went to a horse racing track. I went to the estate, uh, the aristocratic estate in the provinces. And then probably the wildest place that I went to in my research was this circle of arms. So what, what needs to be said about the circle of arms is that it's extremely hard to get in. Um, you need to be accompanied not by one member, but two members. So I had to find two members to invite me. And I should also mention that Argentina has a population of 30 million people, and there are only 500 members of the Circle of Arms, which gives you an idea of how closed an environment it is. But I did find two members to take me there. And so I went for lunch wearing a suit and tie, because that's a dress code. You have to wear a suit and tie to get into the Circle of Arms. And what I experienced there is exactly what happens in the film, which is to say that the film is based on my own experience. When I got there, I was immediately perceived as a banker and I saw real bankers talking with real men of the cloth, real church authorities. So in terms of how we film the, the scene, um, it was important for me because this was a place where I really felt like a dizzying impact of power, but, but not only just power, hidden power. And also there was something dizzying in the relationship to the characters. So it was very important for me that the scene feature people who were from that environment. I asked for that scene that we get members of the club to be in the film. And so the people you see really are from that environment. It's like a third bankers, lawyers, etc people who don't have a foot in film at all, but who have both feet in power or a foot and a half. Um, it was of course very hard to film because it's, it's something that you don't do casually to mix the world of cinema and the environment of high finance and extreme wealth. I, I hope you didn't have to drink too many jeans. Non, but I have to, I have to, uh, je, je dois dire que j'ai passé beaucoup de temps, euh, évidemment, avec les, les, les non-acteurs, les acteurs non-professionnels du film, beaucoup, beaucoup de temps pour, euh, euh, simplement pour qu'ils aient confiance en moi. Donc, euh, c'était une drôle de période, c'est-à-dire que ce n'est pas des gens que je fréquenterais habituellement, mais pour ce film, j'ai dû faire toutes ces choses. Non, mais j'ai passé beaucoup de temps avec les non-acteurs who are in the film so that they would trust me. Uh, it was kind of a funny period in that way because these are people that I wouldn't usually hang out with, but for the film, I did. I'm very proud of you. <laughs> uh, there's another scene that I find also uh, quite um, touching and also pivotal. It's uh, towards the end of the film when they're at Lazaro and you see the exchanges taking place. Um, the list, the list that is read to Kine uh, is incredibly moving. 
and nearly nearly with some humor in it because it's so eclectic and they're so distanced from what is happening which is really the story of all these thousands of people who disappeared uh but the list of objects are like so like weird yeah and eclectic from one to another and the way like well you know the cars are actually not there because you know it's it's not really a system uh, that could be in place, but that's another type of list that are completely different to the list we saw earlier in the film with the banking system. Uh, but can you talk a little bit about um, how you made, you, you, you wrote this film, how you filmed it, uh, and I assume that you based yours maybe on some research on list. You didn't probably make up uh, all these objects. I mean, I can't imagine like, how many uh, plastic cans were there. Like thousands, and then it was electric shavers, and then typewriter, and then a, a guitar. It's, it's very bizarre. Um, disons que pour, pour euh, parler vraiment de cette idée de comment représenter le, la, 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 la partie la plus dure de, du film et de la dictature. Well, to talk about this idea of how to represent the hardest aspect of the film and of the Argentine dictatorship, which is the disappeared, the 20 to 30,000 people who were disappeared by the dictatorship. Um, the film, and the film talks about that. It talks about it off screen, but it does deal with it. I don't think that violence needs to be represented head on in a frontal way. And, and in fact, the film does not do that. But I do think that the film needed to tackle this harshest aspect of things. And so the way that I found to do it was to enumerate things through a list. The way that today we have our other horrible lists that express these things, through a list of objects. To talk about the, the question of the list and, and whether these lists exist, that's something we don't really know. The, the, the issue of lists is very difficult because the dictatorship destroyed a lot of this material, including material that would have served as evidence against it. But we do know that things were stolen. One of the most horrific things about this dictatorship was that when people were kidnapped to be disappeared, uh, the soldiers who came and kidnapped them would help themselves to their belongings. So it wasn't only people who were kidnapped or taken away, it was also objects and not only small objects. Something that happened is that when people were taken to be clandestinely imprisoned, they were also sometimes taken to a notary to sign over their belongings to the military, which allowed people then to acquire goods legally. This is something that became systematic in the practices of the dictatorship. Um, as for the nature of the list, the objects that are on the list, yes, it is heterogeneous, it is eclectic, and that's what makes it so terrifying. Now, I didn't invent the, the items that are on the list. It, it comes from a report that was published at the end of the dictatorship that aimed to be an exhaustive catalog of all the atrocities that were committed by the dictatorship. It's a kind of audit. And in this report that was published after the dictatorship, you find these different elements that were stolen, um, but they're not grouped together. It's You'll have a family mention that someone was disappeared, kidnapped, and at the same time, a typewriter went missing, a crate of fruit went missing, etc. And of course, there's the, the issue of 
racehorses, um, notably 15 horses that were stolen from a lawyer and that wound up in the, the training uh, area of a high placed dignitary of the dictatorship. Well, thank you. I think I'm gonna ask uh, one final question before we, we wrap up. Um, can you talk a little bit about the, the language um, and specifically the sort of dialect that we are using uh, several times in the film, um, um, often by uh, Ines. Um, so there's uh, the two Yorks and uh, uh, Cousin Antoine, and of course Azor, which obviously is uh, also uh, used as a title of the film. Uh, so can you talk about uh, bringing this into the film? I assume you knew, you were familiar with this vocabulary uh, and uh, the way it's shared with, uh, with the spectator. Donc, donc, oui, euh, en fait, le, le film, il prend une forme, on va dire, de, de thriller ou de, de, de film à suspense, mais euh, c'est un, un genre que... The film has the, the, the form of a, a thriller or a suspense film. Um, I like genre film a lot, but it's also, this film, a, a way to, I suppose you could call it, to code something that interests me more and that must remain to some degree kind of raw in the films. And that thing is relations within certain social environments. So there's plot in the film. I, I like plot, it's important to have that tension, but the plot always makes room for an environment, which is the environment of money. And there are different environments of money. As for the dialect, it's something that I discovered along the way while doing my research. And, and it's something that was, fascinating um, for me because it, it dealt with two things that I'm interested in. One is this thing that I mentioned about code. You know, how do you code an issue? Especially, you know, with a dialect, you're translating things into a code. And it's so fascinating and enjoyable to discover a character's point of view through the words that he uses in a dialect. So for instance, you know, do like cousin Antoine, meaning act like you haven't seen someone, That's something that as a filmmaker, I would never make up, but that bankers actually need. And that tells us something about their most intimate concerns. And secretly, that's what the film is about rather than anything else. Well, thank you. Um, it was very enlightening. And I hope you'll make another film with more uh, dialect or secret dialect from the world of banking, because it's also something I had no idea about. Uh, thank you so much for uh, talking about your film. Uh, we were very happy to be able to show it in uh, your direct on your film and very happy to meet you. I hope you'll be able to come uh, sometime physically. Uh, and also thanks to Mubi for uh, releasing the film and working with us. And I guess that's all for me. So if you want to say a final word. Uh, no, thank you very much. I'm very happy to be present in this selection and thank you also for the translation. It was as precise as it was for me. So I, I'm very happy with uh, this talk. So thank you very much. Thank you.